Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only, Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. On with Mario Lopez. What's up, y'all? Mario Lopez. Join me now on Zoom recording Icon Moby. Welcome to the show, man. How are you? I'm good. I mean, I almost feel guilty having nothing to really complain about. Uh, but generally speaking, I have not, I feel like I have nothing to complain about. I love that. I am with you there. More people should be um, vocal about, you know, things being good. Could, could, could inspire others. Where are we talking to you from today? I, well, I was born and raised in New York, but I moved to L.A. about 12 years ago. So I'm here in Los Feliz in L.A., um, you can't really see it outside, but I'm just right at the base of Griffith Observatory. Oh, nice! That's a fun, cool area. How do you like uh, How do you like LA? Well, I think that I moved here for a reason that is so weird. Um, I mean, obviously, for quite a long time, people have moved to LA either for like career, networking, what have you. I moved here because there's a lot of nature here. That's a good, that's a good, uh, that's a good reason. The, the climate's always yeah. nice, especially if you're into nature, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I moved here. I didn't move here to go to red carpet events. I didn't move here to network with agents. I moved here so I could go hiking in the mountains in February wearing jeans and a t-shirt. Definitely can do that. Um, congrats on the new movie, Moby Doc. You're not just a subject, you're the writer and narrator. Why did you want to tell the story this way? Well, I mean, because on one hand, it seems like it could just be a really gratuitous exercise in narcissism. You know, like producing a movie about myself seems like the most self-involved narcissistic thing anyone could do. But the reason I wanted to make it was I got sober around 12 years ago. And after getting sober, I started going to AA meetings and 12-step meetings. And my favorite thing about them was hearing people's stories, you know, going to church basements, uh, going to weird, I, I got sober in a yoga studio, but hearing strangers tell their stories about their struggles, about their experience of the human condition. 
And so the goal of the movie is really just me telling my story very specifically about trying to fix internal issues with external things like fame or success and how like for me, like for a lot of people trying to fix internal issues with external things didn't work. I'm sure that was very therapeutic and, and will help a lot of people because it sounds really relatable. Um, filmmaker David Lynch is one of the interviews in the doc. How'd that friendship start? Well, I mean, I've been an obsessive fan of David Lynch since he made Eraserhead. And, you know, I loved Twin Peaks. I loved Blue Velvet. I loved Inland Empire. Uh, I mean, he's, I, I love pretty much everything he's done. And about, I guess, 12 years ago, we became friends. I learned how to meditate in his studio, as strange as that sounds. Um, I even, my wedding gift to him at his last wedding was to DJ at his wedding. And so for part of the wedding, he and I DJed together. And there was this very odd, surreal moment of me and David Lynch standing next to each other DJing. Uh, and then we made videos for each other. We did remixes for each other. <laughs> and in making Moby Doc, I wanted it to be unconventional. Because as you know, a lot of music documentaries are just interviews. And it gets a little repetitive and a little boring. And so in Moby Doc, there's only one person interviewed, and that's David Lynch. Oh, wow. That's cool, man. Look forward to... Uh... To checking it out there. Um, uh, as far as music, I know you've got a new album coming out on the 28th. You've teamed up with an orchestra to recreate some of your greatest hits. How did how did that change the arranging process? It basically, because most of the music I've made in my life has just been me alone in my studio. I have a small studio. I love working there, but it's just me by myself. Huh. Whereas making this record reprise there was an orchestra in Hungary. There was a string quartet in Los Angeles. There's a gospel choir. There's percussionists. There's drummers. There's so many different singers. So it was this approach to making music that was so different than how I normally work. But ultimately, as you know, the goal of music is to communicate emotion. You know, whether it's made by one person or an orchestra, the only real criteria by which you can judge music is how someone feels emotionally when they listen to it. Mm -hmm. It can take you back. It could just conjure up so much mm -hmm. nostalgia and memories. No, I, I love that about it. Um, do you plan on, uh, on going on tour? And if so, will you bring an orchestra? Well, so a few things. One, uh, when I was growing up, I thought that being a touring musician would be the greatest thing in the world. And I won't complain about it, but what I can say is I spent decades touring and now one of my primary goals in life is to stay home. Hmm. You know, like I love waking up in my bed every morning, yeah. like making a smoothie, reading the New York Times, even though I live in Los Angeles, going for a hike. So if I can avoid touring, I will very happily avoid touring. <laughs> Luckily, the logistics of trying to tour with an orchestral album, like it's hard to go on tour with a 130 piece orchestra. Yeah, that's talk about rolling deep, as the kids would say. <laughs> would you ever do like a, a residency somewhere? Well, I might do what I found is there are orchestras you can perform with. So at some point I might, you know, do a tour where it's basically just me and a couple of singers and we go to Berlin, we go to Paris, we go to London, we go to Sydney, you know, play with like big local orchestras. 
Um, but still, if I can avoid that and just stay home and like <laughs> yeah, wake yeah. up in my bed every morning, I'm really happy. Oh, I'm with you there. I'm at that age, so <laughs> I'm with you. Um, Moby, I, I think it was about 1999 where you really at least kind of um, the awareness level was high for me. And and I think everything changed with the album Play. And w- was there a moment that you realized, wow, this this is a game changer. This is my life's going to be different from this point on. Yeah. Well, so basically in 98 and 97, things were terrible for me. Hmm. Uh, I was battling alcoholism. I was battling panic attacks. My mom had just died. I lost my record deal. I had made an album called animal rights. That was a complete failure. Like it got terrible reviews. No one came to the tour, sold nothing. So when I released the album play in 1999, I thought my career was done. You know, I thought this was going to be my last record. My friend Daniel Miller at Mute Records was only, I felt he was releasing it sort of like as a pity favor to me. <laughs> and when it started doing well, it was so surprising. And really, the turning point for me personally was when uh, the director, Danny Boyle, contacted me to use one of the songs in the movie The Beach with Leo DiCaprio. Yeah. And I was like, wait, I'm supposed to be a failure. Like, this is supposed to be my obscure last album. How does Danny Boyle know who I am? And why does he want to use my music in a movie with Leo DiCaprio? Keeping in mind, this was Leo's first movie after Titanic. Right. So that was the time where I was like, okay, this might not be my last (sighs) album and it might not be a failure. I also remember too, uh, infamously, Eminem incorporated you into one of his uh, lyrics, which I'm sure even... Uh, made the awareness level for people it just took it to to another level and I, it was something about he was talking about something about with EDM music or nobody listening to it and now of course it seems infused in every genre <laughs> of music so you were way ahead of your time but looking back do you find the irony kind of funny with that um I mean there's the funny thing with the Eminem disc is I've always thought he's like remarkably talented clearly very intelligent and when he and I had our feud I thought it was a joke. Yeah. <laughs> right. I thought we were just kidding. <laughs> right, and right. I met him at an MTV Music Awards and he kind of tried to attack me. Really? And I was like, well, what? I, like, I thought this was supposed to be funny. Like, yeah, I yeah. thought we were just sort of like <laughs> lighthearted sure. joking around. Um, especially, and in a way, I almost feel bad if I like hurt his feelings because I've always thought he was like this very talented, very intelligent guy. Um there is, of course, the irony is in that song, he says that I'm too old. Keeping in mind, that was 22 years ago. <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> and aging is a process that happens to all of us. But obviously, quantitatively, Marshall Mathers is quite a lot older than I was at that point yeah. when I was too old. <laughs> I love it, man. I love it. What about today's music, Moby? What are you listening to these days from current artists? Well, that's a good question, and I have a very embarrassing answer. Okay. Um, so when when I got Spotify on my phone, I thought to myself, great. Now I can say I can stay so up to date with what's going on in the rest of the musical world. I can listen to all the new releases. I pretty much only listen to the music that I was listening to in high school. That's so funny that you say that, because I actually I was making some um 
playlist on Spotify and I'm like, damn, I got to mix it up because I keep putting the same songs on my playlist, playlist. in different playlists. And I'm like, I got to mix it up a little bit more. And so I've been trying to get better. It's funny. So I feel better that you're saying that. Yacht Rock 1, Yacht Rock (laughs) 2. You're stupid. You you know, speaking of Yacht Rock. I love Yacht Rock. I (laughs) I just went down a really deep Yacht Rock rabbit hole. Um, Good for you. With some friends of mine. Because um, my uh, my friend Free didn't know what Yacht Rock was. And I was like, oh. And so it wasn't just the music. Yeah. It was contextualizing it. Yeah. Like, And for anyone who's wondering what that means, I'm like, just look at a picture of Seals and Crofts and you will understand. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, I love it. See, Moby knows what's up. Congratulations, man, on everything that's going on. The doc sounds fascinating. And listen, watch Moby Doc, which is in theaters on the 28th. Moby, thanks for checking in. Nice meeting you. Oh, my pleasure. Really nice talking with you. Take care. On with Mario Lopez. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. 